So by now you know Tenny's Pizza, they're our favorite pizza joint and our number one sponsor. There's a couple reasons why Tenny's is really good at what they do. Probably the most is, well, they have amazing food, but they're able to do it at like this really efficient, very easy to reach cost price. For sure. Yeah, it, it's... Like what's no, so your price point's actually pretty low, right, Kevin? It's it's the lowest out there. So I think a lot of people don't realize at Tenny's we we have we try to keep our pricing really simple. So it works this way: if you want a medium pizza, which is a twelve inch pizza, you can get whatever toppings you want. There's twelve of them that we offer for five bucks. So, so every to- you can get like fifteen toppings. There's twelve. So 12 yeah. You get all twelve toppings. Yeah, and it'd be five bucks. Wow. So, and then a large would be nine bucks. I think the, the funny thing to me is people always think that because we have affordable pricing for our pizza that yeah. it, it's lower grade and that's such BS. That's like the exact opposite, really. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like, how do you get lower grade vegetables? You know, it's just like, do, do you guys grow it in like Peru or something like that? <laughs> you know, I, you know, and so, and we use awesome ingredients. Our cheese is a hundred percent real. So Literally, if you're paying more money for pizza out there because you think the higher price means better quality, at least in our case, that is not true. So come out to Tenny's. You guys can get an awesome pizza for 5 bucks for a medium or a large for 9 bucks, up to 12 toppings. Beautiful. Thank you, sir. Feed the family at a really cost-effective price through Tenny's Pizza. Finding Strength Podcast. Say we're recording. Sorry, this is take two because I don't know what I'm doing still, apparently. Yes, but if you said it to me, I wouldn't understand what you're talking about. Sorry. I was just in the middle of giving Bethany a bunch of crap. Welcome back to the Finding Strength Podcast. I'm here. I'm Matt Quackenbush with my amazingly... Favorite person. Favorite person. <laughs> Other than your wife. I can, I can be number two. <laughs> you can be two. Yeah. Numero dos. <laughs> And our guest today is Misha Ludwig, right? Yes. Beautiful. Misha is awesome. I'm excited for everybody to hear her story. But before we uh, talk about Misha's story, and you can talk whenever you want. You can interject whenever you want, Misha. Last week's episode. Yes. Do you remember what it was? You know what? No. Andrew. Andrew. Yes, I do. I mean, I remember them all. I just forget which order they are. It posted today, actually. (laughs) We're recording the day I posted. Yeah. It's got good response so far. It was so awesome. It was rad. Yeah. I I felt bad because I was like, tell me more. Like I sat, I made it even go, I could have talked for like another half an hour. Oh, he just kept going and his story about being a kid. And I listened to it today, like the first like little bit of it as I was driving to work. And in the first like Five minutes. That guy's already talking about trauma. It was crazy. It was awesome. So and that's, you that's, say awesome, and I'm like, oh, and I, I was traumatized listening. I'm like, know. what happened to you? Oh my. Yeah, and that's Lord. my jam. That's like what I live for every day because I'm a twisted human. <laughs> it's because that's what you hear every day that's of true. your life. I'm very jaded. For me, I'm like in my own little <clears> bubble <throat> all the time, and so then when we talk to people, I'm like, what? This seriously happens. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It freaks I, me out. I think the most, well, one of the biggest things we get in feedback is like, 
my mind has been expanded. Like, I didn't know this was out there. Like, mm-hmm. This exists. Like, people think like this. And I'm not alone, which is a huge one, too, which I think is great. So I'm excited for you, Misha, to tell your story. Thank well, you. Well, and maybe that people can see that, okay, yes, I have some hard things in my life, but so does everybody else. And so for it's sure. like, you can you can yeah. keep working through it, keep dealing, like, you can do it. You well, know? we talk about this, uh, actually talk about this at work quite often. It's like <coughs> the, the social media of the world. Right, like if you go on social media, if you were to use that as your like baseline for how everybody else is doing, pretty much everybody else is either going on vacation or eating delicious food. Dude, that's me. I, that's I'm it. the worst because I literally only post when it's like a well, child's. Would you post? A child's birthday, and I'm like, look what a good mom Celebrate. I am. Yeah, and then <laughs> or Hallie dancing, or Hallie dancing, or us on vacation. It's like that's I don't it. post when it's like. My life's a shit Today show. Today <laughs> sucked. No, it didn't suck. But, you know, just like the day-to-day, oh, everyone's sick. It's raining outside. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how you are most of the time. <laughs> if you really knew me, no, that's hardly. how I talk. Hardly. But I, so, Misha, <laughs> how crappy is your life? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm like, excited because I've never met you at all. Like, yeah. I literally, I got here late and I walked in and I'm like, I know nothing. So I'm really excited to hear. So ask away, lady friend. Bring it. So give us the beginning. I mean, that's where I always like to start is right at the beginning. Like, where are you from? What's your family like? life like growing up? And we'll just keep moving from there. Awesome. Well, I just thank you guys so much for having me here. I'm super, super grateful. Um, so I grew up in South Dakota on a farm and super grateful for that opportunity. I think that it gave me so many great values and, um, yeah, lots of really great experiences. So I grew up with both of my parents and I was, let's see, number three, four (laughs) of five kids. I have an older half brother and then, um, my oldest sister, my older brother, and then when I was 10, we adopted my little sister. So I uh, grew up on the farm and, um, yeah. Side note, just so you know, just today I was at work and I was listening to country music because my husband wasn't there. And it's the only time I can listen to country music. <laughs> and I was saying, I always have wanted to live on a farm. <laughs> I seriously was like, I'm going to marry a cowboy because I want to live on a farm. And, Anyways, and you married Kevin, and then I married Kevin, who hates camping. He's the opposite. He's of a not a farmer, <laughs> but I tell him all the time, I'm like, "You're lucky I married you. I was gonna marry a farmer." Yeah, you do have one animal. You have a dog. Yes, he's not really an. He's like a another child. <laughs> he sits in the house all What's the time. Well, yeah, what is life like? Like, so you're on a farm since you're born, and you started life farming stuff. Yes, I started farming when I was born. Well, <laughs> no, you're not like raking. <laughs> no, but like, like you have to take care of animals and like get up and like get the eggs from the chickens and <laughs> feed the horses and milk the cows, all that. Yeah, we we did not have chickens. Um, well, I do remember chickens at one point, very briefly, but uh, we were mostly. My dad had a lot of land. We had um, crops and uh, cattle. So that was mostly what our farm consisted of. But yeah, I remember the days of 
you know, like not spraying the weeds around the, the cattle yard, but literally out there in 100 degree weather pulling the weeds. My dad was um, very anal about everything. <laughs> and so you can't um, kill weeds, you gotta pull them. Yeah. Yep. There's and a lot of weeds on a big farm. Yes, there is. Wow. Picking rocks in the pasture, um, walking a lot of corn and bean fields. Um, I remember one summer being out there. We had a really big deck, uh, a wraparound sort of deck, and being out there staining it in the heat and armor alling our stock trucks. And yeah, we we worked the land. So were you so. close to your siblings? I was. Um, I felt like, you know, our family was very close to my siblings and my parents. Although as I got older, I realized how a little bit jaded that, that belief was for me. So what, why do you say that? Well, I'm, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm close to my family today. In Mm -hmm. fact, they're not really a part of my life. And, um, that's really, I, you know, I don't even know whether that's their doing or mine, but it just is. And it's something that I've come to really just accept right now and sort of love them from a distance. I feel like um, as I've continued on this journey of personal growth and development that I'm just in sort of a different world than they are. And I really think that as I've continued on this journey, that um, ways that I show up kind of um, create some internal struggle for them to have to sort of look at some painful things that they don't really want to look at. So at what point do you feel like, so you're, when you were younger, you guys were close. Do you, can you recall like when that changed? When that it went from being close to uh, this probably isn't a healthy thing for me, or you know, or it's just was it a natural progression of life? Well, I think it's more about when you grow up and you think that you're close, it's because that's all you know, that's your experience, you don't have anything to compare it to. Um, when I look back, I remember the days like my dad, I grew up, he was an alcoholic. He went to treatment when I was 10, um, at which time my parents split up. And so my older sister went or stayed living on the farm with my dad and my brother and my baby sister and I went to town and lived with mom. They were, they were separated for a year, but I remember a lot of the chaos around um, his alcohol use, and there was some infidelity um, on his part. And um, so I remember all those, you know, experiences. I remember very vividly um, the the first farmhouse that we lived in had, you know, like the old vents where you could look down, you know, Mm -hmm. through the floor upstairs and see downstairs. And I remember seeing mom and dad um, get into a fight. I assume that my dad was intoxicated, but I remember um, what I recall is him like breaking, one of them breaking a lamp. And so, you know, to think we were close, but then, like I said, as I got older and kind of began to see uh, I mean, what is normal? I want to use that word because I don't know what other word to use, yeah. but quote unquote normal 
uh, families and then to realize, wow, like our family was so dysfunctional. So what age were you when your parents split up? Ten. And did they end up getting back together or did they get divorced? Yeah, they did. They were separated for a year and then got back together. And then um, I was 19 when they split and divorced. So you mentioned, you said, I realized my family was dysfunctional. Like, when did that happen? And if you wouldn't mind, like, just briefly taking us through what that process was like for you. Because I think that's very unique to each individual. Because a lot of people look at their families and go, oh, my gosh, like, fairy tale is uh, come to an end and reality is hit. And, wow, we're dysfunctional. What was that like for you? Are you asking what was it like when I started having that what awareness? brought you to that realization? What was the mental, emotional journey like when you realized it's not a fairy tale anymore? This is real. I got to do my own thing. Um. I mean, for sure, a lot of pain and just feeling like, wow, like, were we just these bunch of frauds growing, you know, like was, was our just questioning a lot of questioning, um, what I knew, my belief system, my identity. I would say that a real, um, pivoting point for me was when I got married when I was 18 and, when I was 28, I left him. And through that process, you know, he had been dishonest with my family. And he and I were pretty good at um, putting on a show for people. People didn't really understand the depth of the pain that I was in throughout my marriage. And um, like people at times called us Ken and Barbie, you know, they thought we had this great marriage. And there were certainly moments that were great, but, um, so when I left him, uh, some of the stories that he shared with people, particularly my family, they bought into. And so they really weren't a part of my life for a couple of years. So after he like I left sold him. you out to your own family. Yeah. What you're saying. Yeah. I remember, um, days when he would show up to pick up our children to take them to holiday gatherings with my family. Yeah. And you were like exiled. Yeah. Because of the lies he was telling. Yeah. That's brutal. How lonely. Yeah, it was really lonely, you know, and there were like just that point in my life was such a dark, dark, dark time in my life. Just like so much uh, continued trauma that I had attracted into my life and um so take us through that journey just a little bit so you get married at 18 Mm -hmm. um why so young I got married at 18 so that's why I can ask (laughs) that question and be totally fine with it my wife was 19 so but I mean I I know in my head like reasons why you know I dated him for a long time I was uh religious and it was like what we were supposed to do so I'm just wondering like why'd you get married at 18 Well, when I was 18, I mean, I definitely was in love with him. And, um, you know, I remember in my senior year, as my friends were preparing to go to college, I was like, I just, I just want to get married and have babies. Like, that's what I want. And I chose not to go to college at that time. And, um, uh, you know, I, I was in love with him. I, 
that's what I wanted was to have a family. And I think some of it was about um, just wanting a family not like the family that I had. Mm -hmm. But long story short, my family had decided to sell the farm and we moved to Colorado right after I graduated from high school. And uh, I graduated in May. We moved that August. And so we all moved to Colorado. And in that year, um, my parents had split. Uh, My sister and her husband had split. And my boyfriend at the time came with us. He found out last minute. We actually had broke up that summer right after I graduated. And he, we ended up running into each other, and he found out we were selling the farm and, and leaving, and he wanted to come with. And I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, I was so, so much in love with him. So he moved to Colorado with us, and uh, it was, I believe, November he left, and he just he didn't want that lifestyle. Well, while he was gone, I found out that I was pregnant with our oldest, and I didn't tell him because I didn't want that to be the reason he potentially stayed. that he would come back. Well, he was gone when I, I found out. And it's kind of weird because, um, I mean, maybe too much information, but we, we had sex the day that he left. And it was like instantly something changed in me. Like it was, it's so bizarre, but like I felt pregnant, if that makes any sense. And yeah. I mean, within days. Totally, I know that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> but no, that, and by the way, there's no such thing as TMI on this. As, I was going to say that. Don't ever feel like you're sharing yeah, too you much. you can divulge whatever, whatever you want to divulge. So, so he's gone. You find out you're pregnant. Yes. Wow. Yeah, and I didn't tell him because I didn't want that to be the reason that he came back. But he was gone five or six weeks, came back, and I said, oh, by the way, we're going to have a baby. And so... You know, we decided at that point, I grew up in a Christian home, so I thought the thing to do would be to get married right away so that we were married before this baby baby came. came. And so that's what we did. We, um, oh, I'm remembering now, it was, it was actually in October he left. We, we got married, um, in November. So he came back and weeks later we were married and then we had our first son Mitchell in June. More power to you. Shotgun weddings. That's what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> they don't do those that much anymore. No. That's, that's awesome. That's what I did. Shotgun yeah. wedding. The, only the best of us can survive the shotgun wedding. That's the truth. <laughs> that's through the, it with that's your hard. Intact. It's not easy. Yeah. That's so hard. The stigma of like, okay, where? how do we figure navigate this thing? Like, I'm a child. I'm, I was like 23. Brittany was 19. How do I make sure that I don't ruffle too many feathers I want to make sure he, my son, I have a son too, who grows up in the right kind of home because yes. apparently that's a thing. Yeah, there's a ton of I love when you guys do pressure. the air quotes and no one can see them but us. It's yeah. so awesome. I love, I, yeah, right kind of thing, quotes. Yeah. Matt's using the air finger quotes yeah. and you can't see it. So. One day we'll get a video camera in here. I know. And, and they'll see like all, all the hand, hand things. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you, you got a baby. Yes. Does the marriage, is it happy at this point? No, he was very miserable in Colorado. Um, I remember the day that I had Mitchell, like nobody came to the hospital and I was like, what the heck? And I later found out that that was the day my parents split. The day you had your baby? Yes. Oh, 
June 5th. You're like, thanks for that. What day is that? June 5th? June 5th. That's oh, my birthday. Is it really? It's <laughs> Matt's birthday and, and it's my daughter's birthday. 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 Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Well, I mean, I'm glad they got, I mean, they, at least you have a good thing separated, to remember. But you have a baby. That's great. Yes. Okay. Yes. So you keep going though. You guys stay married. You, you have more kids, right? Yeah, so Mitchell was six weeks old when my husband came to me and said, like, I'm leaving with or without you. Like, I, I want to go back home. Home is in South Dakota, and I'm leaving with or without you. And so as a wife, I thought it was my duty to go, go with him. And so that's what I did and got back there. He uh, was in full-blown, um, he was an alcoholic, and um, that's really when... Uh, like the violence started in our marriage and uh within I want to say like a week or two of getting back to South Dakota he had left us and he just kind of lived this life of he would disappear for a week or two and you know that was back in the day where we weren't attached to cell phones you know and so I just wouldn't hear from him and he'd be gone for a while and he'd be partying or doing whatever and then he'd show back up and and so, yeah, we were married for, for 10 years. Um, and was this the typical for 10 years? No, he ended up after, um, after our second child. So I, I was 18 when I got married, 19 when I had Mitchell, 20 when we had our second son, Lane. And Lane was a baby when my husband ended up in a pretty serious car accident and put himself in treatment. And so he was like drunk driving and then yes. ended up going to treatment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I recall that like our divorce was almost nearing an end or whatever. And he just like, didn't show up for court. And I thought it was like this big joke or something, you know? And, and when he went to treatment, he couldn't call me right away. And so then I remember getting the call from him while he was in treatment, and I just instantly could hear in his voice that something was different. Like, I was, like, leaning in, like, what, who are you? <laughs> you know, and he said he was in treatment and just really begged me not to go through with the divorce, to drop it and all this stuff. And, you know, I was just so grateful that he was in treatment. And I told him, I'm, I'm not going through with the divorce right now, but I am not. Like, I'm just putting it on hold. And I was there for him through the treatment and everything. But we were separated for another year after he got out of treatment. And then we got back together and then, of course, had our third son. And so he sobered up, but a lot of the behaviors didn't change from my perspective. Just And when, you, when you're talking about behaviors, like, abusive, like... Physically, emotionally, yeah. verbally, what was that like? Um, you know, it, it's hard for me to answer these questions because I assume at some point my kids are listening in right. and I want to protect them, but yeah. they're all adults. They get it. Like, <laughs> But so I'm, you know, I'm maybe not going to be real specific just out of respect to them, but there was abuse throughout our marriage for sure. And I would say that I experienced every form of abuse. Um physically, emotionally, financially, sexually, um, in, in our marriage. And he was, uh, unfaithful at the very beginning. And I was raised to just like, 
I remember my parents always saying things like kill them with kindness and walk in love and all of these things. And so that's what I thought I was doing was loving him through all of that. And in um, reality, you're not killing anyone with kindness, but just being the doormat for his abuse. Yeah, I was really killing myself is Mm -hmm. what I was doing. And so Mm -hmm. fast forward, you know, 10 years of marriage, like he had sobered up, but still was just very selfish. Um, He would, from my perspective, rather hunt and fish than show up and be a dad and a husband, at least be the dad and the husband that my kids and I needed him to be. And so when I left him 10 years into that marriage, um, I was just so completely broken. Like I had no self-esteem, no confidence. I remember the last two years of our marriage, like I would come to him at least once a month, just bawling, like things have got to change. Like I cannot continue living like this and just begging him. And he would say things like, you know, who's going to want some divorced woman with three kids. And I, I fully believed him when I left him, I was convinced that, you know, I, I was unlovable. Yeah. Well, that happens. I mean, we want to kind of, as a culture or society, like hide ourselves, like keep our heads in the sand to relationships that exist like this, but it's way more common than we realize. For sure. Well, it's, it's brilliant on his part. He can treat you like crap, and you're never going to leave because he's broken you down. Well, one and one of the biggest things that is is so awesome about you know, I guess in the '70s they call it the feminist movement or whatever. But but there's like this empowerment of women culture that's starting to happen. Like this last session of Congress, like more women were elected in positions of power than in the history of our country. Like, like we're starting to wake up and understand like women are not meant to be submissive. They're not meant to be you know, under the thumb of some man or whatever. And it, and as, as, as a, as a white privileged male to say this, it's a little uncomfortable for me because I represent an entire like class of human beings that are in the position of power and can wield that power without much consequence. And that's the hard part is like, how do women figure out to own their story, to stand up, to walk away, to step into their power. And it sounds like you you figured out how to do that. That's yeah. incredible. That's that's remarkable. You know, and I think that's a even um I did not grow up with any sort of abuse or anything. And I still always felt like I had to be submissive mm-hmm. just being a female mm-hmm. in our culture. And it just always was like, well, the men are more important. And part of that for me was in my religion. The men are more important. Mm-hmm. It's my childhood religion. And it's just one of those things where, and then now I've just come to this point, and it is hard because you want to be an equal, but it's that's tough when it's never been that way. And when no matter how you look at it, like I was a stay-at-home mom for years and years, and it's just not looked at the same way. So even without the abuse part, like there is that like a little bit of demeaning, even if it's not coming from like it's never come from my spouse, but just from society, I guess. Yeah, culturally, we mm-hmm. the people who are in power really want to stay that way. And that's why the Me Too movement was freaking crazy. Like it was so cool to see all these people 
men, women alike stepping up and saying like, yeah, me too. Like I have experienced sexual abuse and just to see this flood and then the backlash from that and the victim blaming that resulted from that. And it's exposed, it's exposed what's going on in our society and in our culture and, and locally even here, like, like the type of culture that, that exists. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that, you know, we, we can't really stop that. And, and there's kind of this call to action for men on our end. Like I have a daughter, you know, and I look at my daughter and I go, well, we, she has these, she has these affirmations. We tell her these affirmations and her affirmations are to be kind and gentle and smart and strong and powerful. Like, that's what I want for my daughter. And I don't understand why, uh, why, why men are afraid that if we empower women, they're going to lose something like the most amazing people in my life are powerful women. Like you, you're freaking powerhouse. Like (laughs) Amy, my, my, my boss at work is this powerful, incredible woman who I learn amazing things from. My wife is the, I mean, she's, she's a force. She's a badass. She (laughs) is. And I, I freaking respect the hell out of these people. And so I, it just kind of like blows my mind that like, why are we these men such freaking? Well, so horses? I think that's that's <laughs> you know? something that I would I really want to know is how did you get from that point of you know being shoved under this rock basically to I'm out and I'm doing this on my own. How did you get yourself there? Well, I want to back up and just speak to the submissive part that you Uh, talked about like that's I was raised to you should be submissive to your husband and I mean I really became this person I was so shy Uh, I remember throughout school especially in high school like just doing whatever I could to fit in and conform to what society wanted me to be or at least the messages that I thought society wanted me to be and um, just looking for all of the affirmation outside of me externally for, um, for value, for worth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I lived this life of continuing to look outside of myself. I did that in my marriage. I kept, you know, like literally begging him to validate me, to hear me, to see me. And so when I left him, I mean, it, it really took me two years. I had left him a couple times before, but not like really left. I wanted to. I remember one time leaving and driving down the dirt road and crying and pulling over and calling my mom. And she talked me into going back. Like, you got to walk in love with him. And I went back that night, you know. And so just these messages that I continued to get growing up of that, you know, submissive to be a woman, you need to be, you know, submissive and meek and whatever. And um, so not who I am today, but it it wasn't like I left my husband at 28 and got there. I mean, yeah. it, it took a lot of years, a lot more trauma, a lot more abuse um, for me to get where I'm at today. And so when I left him, I mean, I I second-guessed myself over and over and over. And I remember... After I left him, it was in February when I left him. And that summer, I was working at the University of South Dakota. And um, 
two of my coworkers and best friends at the time, they were runners and we would go work out, you know, on our lunch break and whatnot, but I was not a runner. And uh, one of them was like, hey, we should go do the rock and roll half marathon in Virginia Beach. And so we were like, yeah, let's go do it. And I literally did not train for this race. I (laughs) show up and I ran that race. But it was so symbolic for me because in my mind, I'll never forget that day standing in this ginormous crowd. And we were towards the front of the line. We got there super early. And like the adrenaline rush that I had before we, you know, Mm-hmm. ever heard that gun go off and but what that was for me was in my head I was like if I can finish this race I can go through with this divorce and I finished the freaking race Hell yeah I, yeah <laughs> I walked around with ice bags on my knees oh, for girl. three days but I finished that race and it was just it was such an amazing feeling and so I knew at that point like I'm not a runner. I just ran a half marathon. If I can do this, like I can finish, I can go through with this divorce. And, and I did. Um, but yeah, a lot of, uh, um, a lot more abuse and trauma. And, you know, I, I talk about how I was raised on the, this farm very much, um, believing that no pain, no gain, you know, like you got to work hard for what you have that's what I did. Like I worked my ass off my whole life, but all I got was hard work and pain. You know, it's what I attracted into my life was hard work and pain over and over and over. And so, so when you ended up leaving your husband, did the kids stay with you? Did you share custody? How did that work out? Oh my gosh. The divorce was so hard. Like to watch these kids, they were seven, six and three and they were just their world was turned upside down and like the gut wrenching feeling to know that I created that I'm causing this pain for you. Like that was so hard and just trying very much to protect them. Um, I tried very, very hard not to badmouth their dad to them and I'll never remember or I'll never forget my kids were 10, 13 and 14. We were living in Sioux Falls South Dakota, and some events had happened. My son had just gotten out of the hospital from meningitis. It was a horrible experience. Mm. Um, And I was going through a second custody battle and just all this stuff because I had moved them. And um, I remember having to sit my kids down and explain to them what was going on and what their dad was doing to them. And my middle son just pacing like my, my oldest and my youngest, they, they internalize everything, sit there and chew their fingernails kind of thing, you know, and they were just quiet. And my youngest or my middle son just pacing back and forth and being so angry with me because I kept all of this from them. You know, like, why did you not tell us all this stuff about dad? And it was like, because I was protecting you. Like, that's your dad. And I knew to talk bad about him would be to hurt you. But on the flip side, that wasn't their experience. And so there was a lot of damage caused. Uh, I was. What made you feel like you had to tell them at that point? Because there was a situation going on that they needed to make a decision. Of um, who they were going to go with? No. Their, their dad had taken out some USDA loans in their name and was not spending the money on what was supposed to be done with yeah. it. And so... 
the government was coming after me, which is how I gained knowledge of this. And so I had to sit the kids down and say, this is your money. Like, you owe these loans back. You have to make a decision about what we do right now. And so ultimately they had to make a decision about what we were going to do in that situation with some sheep that uh, were purchased with some of that money. Oh, that is a Very lot nice. to deal with. That's a ton to deal with. And, and sheep, I love, that's kind of a funny thing. I know. Thing, like, there's sheep involved. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> but um, so you have the kids... Second custody battle goes through. I also really want to make sure we get to like the recent yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good what stuff. I know, the and that's why stuff. I wanted you to come on because your recent story is crazy. Yeah. It's amazing. It's incredible because you're because I love like the power you have. So that point, what happens next? Um, well, I mean, just over from from the time that I left him at 28 up until a few years ago. Um, you know, I had, like I said, gone through so many relationships that were abusive and um, had it actually as an adult experienced incest. And so that was really hard um, to, you know, because I blamed myself. How does this happen when you're an adult? Um, I was struggling with some health issues and found out that I had cancer and, you know, my family wasn't a part of my life. And so all of this stuff and Struggled with depression throughout my whole life. And I had had a suicide attempt when I was a senior and put myself in the hospital at that point, but then found myself going through my divorce, same thing. And I had had you a... You felt suicidal? Yeah, I had actually, um, through my divorce, at, uh, right after the incest took place, had attempted suicide. And really, it, I mean, it is such a miracle that I lived through that and uh, put myself in the hospital again. And so just, like I said, a lot of trauma, a lot of abuse. And um, so fast forward, I found myself at one point living in Sioux Falls, working two jobs, seven days a week. I had put myself through college after my divorce, actually after the suicide attempt, I, I put myself through college, got two degrees and became a addiction counselor. And so, you know, I had continued to try to better my kid's life, better my life and loved, loved my career and but was working two two jobs seven days a week to try to make ends meet because um, I had gotten remarried, which is what brought us to Sioux Falls, which is what resulted in the second custody battle was because I took the kids from their community. And so we went through this very painful and expensive custody battle. The kids uh, remained with me through that. Uh, but, you know, they went from a school of 200 students to classrooms of 500. It was very traumatic for them. Wow. But I had approached their dad and, and said, you know, like, they want to stay in their community, and I'm open to that, but you got to step up. Like, these are the things you're supposed to be doing through our divorce. Like, step up and show me that you can be a dad, and none of those things ever happened, so I took the kids with me. And so here I am in, in this career. I, I, so I had remarried. That marriage was very brief, and in that marriage saw some... I guess, red flags, some, some deja vus that 
reminded me of my first marriage, and I just bolted. I was out. Like, yeah, I'm doing this again. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you're like, I already did that for 10 years. Yeah, and I literally, like, I still to this day have so much respect for this man and his family. I, I definitely loved him. I loved his kids. And, but, you know, I told him at the time, like, he's like, you're throwing the talent too soon. And I said, I, I'm not waking up again, 10 years from now and feeling like all this was for nothing. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm not, I'm not invested. I, you've broke, you know, the trust that I had in you and it's just, it's done. And it's so surreal to me because it's hard for me to even say I've been married twice because it's that surreal. But it takes um, a lot of strength to, to walk away from something that you grew up being forced to believe is essential to who you are. Yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, like, where did you get that strength? You know, I thought about that on the way here tonight. Like, where have I drawn strength from? Because I've heard that my entire life. Like, you are such a strong woman. I had a, a great friend I've met here in Utah telling me that last night. Like, you're such a strong woman. And I've heard that throughout my life and there were even times where like it would piss me off like I don't want to be strong anymore (laughs) I'm tired of freaking being strong um but yeah I've just always had this strength in me of just I don't know just some incredible resilience and always wanting to like be the change and I think it probably was rooted in striving and being so hungry for validation like if I could just get through this and people can see that maybe then I'll be validated maybe then I'll you know have some maybe a part of you is searching for like external validation I think so but I and maybe that's part of it but I found like that's not at least for me and in my experience that's not often enough to like really get through the difficult things you've been through. So like maybe there's something besides the external validation. Like if you had to say like, okay, what's my why? Yeah. What would that be? Yeah. Well, definitely my why was my kids. I mean, my kids for sure, hands down became my why. Like I remember even when uh, I was going through the divorce and I um, attempted suicide, like I was so broken that at that moment, the kids weren't even enough. Like, I didn't want to die. I just wanted the pain to stop. And um, I remember calling up my husband at the time and saying, like, I can't I can't take care of these kids. I need you to come get them. And he did. And then um, I tried to take my life. And um, so, I mean, my kids were definitely my why, except in that moment they weren't. But just like always thinking about if I weren't here, they're going to blame themselves and like not wanting to create that pain for them. And knowing like I've, I've kind of been the rock in their, their life. And if they don't have me, what do they have? And you know what it's like to not have a rock and have to be so self-reliant. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what brought you to Utah? (laughs) So I, going back to working two jobs, seven days a week, my kids were, you know, I had uprooted them and put them in this much larger community. And they were, they were farm boys. Like they, you know, were from small communities and that was traumatic for them. And, 
Um, so they started getting involved in marijuana and um, just a lot of legal problems. You know, it was like one or two or three of them was constantly in trouble. So here I am, the single mom, trying to um, maintain a career and pay for a mortgage and everything and, and working these two jobs to make ends meet. I remember at one point, sitting all three of my kids down and saying, like, this is enough. Like, I cannot keep living like this. Like, between, you know, paying for attorneys and probation fees and court costs and whatever, like, it was just nonstop. And um, I always felt like I was, like, overcompensating, too, because I felt so guilty about robbing my kids of a family. And so I, I definitely overcompensated. I did everything for my kids and tried to, to make up for it. And so I did a lot of enabling too, but then, you know, I'd go back and forth. Sometimes I would enable them and sometimes I'd be calling the police on them or calling probation and being like, you know, whatever. But I always, you know, was like saying to my kids, like my career is on the line. Like, Hey, I just found this pipe in, in my car. Like, if I got pulled over, like that's, you know, that's my ass. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't have a job. Yeah. And so and you don't I, have money for attorneys. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so I sat them down and was just like, I can't do this anymore. And, you know, my kids, like they don't, they don't love themselves when they're in that place in their life either. And I was like, like, what do we do? And my oldest son being the firstborn, you know, was like, I can do this on my own. And he did. He, he, he cleaned up his life. And, and, um, the other two were like, uh, uh, I like, I cannot do this. Like they were, they were all smoking daily at that point. And so I was living in Sioux Falls. I put my middle son in treatment in Minnesota, my youngest son, the opposite direction, um, in treatment in South Dakota. So here I am working these two jobs traveling two different directions to try to support them through treatment. And when, when they got out of treatment, um, my youngest son got out last. It was October 30th, and I sat them down, and I said, one of you goes back to this lifestyle, and this house is going on the market, and I'm gone. And, you know, I've always, like, strived so much throughout my life to be a person of my word. Like, when I say something, I mean it, even if I really didn't mean it. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah. I want people to, to trust me. I want people to know that when I say something, like, I'm going to show up for you or I'm going to follow through with this or whatever. And mostly just because I wanted people to show up in that way for me and they weren't. Yeah. But so fast forward to that March, like my kids were doing so great and I was just so freaking proud of them. And one of them had gone back to smoking. So needless to say, I was like, okay, well, I guess I got to be a person of my word. I put my house on the market and I was gone. I moved across the state or across South Dakota to Rapid City and left them for the first time. And oh my gosh. How old were they at this point? Oh gosh, let's see. They would have been... Um, like 19, 18, and 15, I believe. Okay. And so that was really a turning point for me. I lived two years out in Rapid City, no friends, no family out there, no kids. And 
it was so incredibly hard, but like I grew so close to God and did so much healing there. Like just took care of myself, you know, and my kids had to show up in a different way because mom wasn't there taking care of them, you know, and I remember my youngest son, like I told him like, you, you go live with your dad. Like you got to live with your dad. I'm not going to bail you out. And I remember him calling me like just broken, like mom, you know, like please. And I was like, I'm sorry, you've chosen this. Like, and it was so hard to give them that tough love, but it was seriously like, I look back the most loving thing I ever did for them. And it didn't feel like that. Did he go live with his dad then? Your youngest? Yeah. And so all three of the boys, like, you know, they experienced that in different ways, of course, because they're unique to, to who they are, but they all realized like what I was for them and what I had been doing for them. And they were, they just grew this tremendous amount of like respect and appreciation for me. That was so beautiful, but it was so hard for them. Like it breaks my heart still when I think about like, because they felt abandoned. So that was really the point where I started really drawing strength. Because you you couldn't depend on them anymore. They had to come from you now. Yeah. Well, and they were able to, have strength modeled for them in a way that was excruciatingly tangible. Yes. <laughs> like you, you can't miss mom not folding my clothes anymore. Yeah. And me having to do it all on my own because mom held the boundary. Yeah. yeah. Parents are terrified to do that. Terrified. Oh, that's because that would be hard. Terrified because it feels, it feels very selfish. But one of the things I love that you said is, Probably one of the most loving things I ever did for my kids. Yeah, for sure. It almost seems like ironic, but in really in reality, it's not ironic. It's it's paradoxical, right? Sometimes the best way to show love for somebody is to show them that they have the strength within to do what they need to do without you. That's hard. Yeah. Especially as a parent, because you feel like my kids are so dependent on me. But that's not really what we want to teach our kids. We don't want to teach our kids dependence. Mm-hmm. We want to teach our kids Well, it's so unhealthy for them, too. It's not just unhealthy for you. It's <clears throat> if they grew up, if you grew up in enabling your kids, and I say this as probably an enabler myself because I have to constantly tell myself not to do things. But you know when you're doing... We all <laughs> enable our kids. That's our but job just, as parents. Yeah, but, but I'm just saying, like, I look at it and think... It's like, for for instance, me growing up, my dad, you know supported roof over my head, the things I needed. And that was really it. But as much as I can be like, well, I didn't have this and this and this, I grew up similar to you in the fact that like, I know how to do everything. I know how to take care of myself. I've known how to take care of myself since I was 18 years old because he taught me that. And that's something I think that's super important and not easy for all parents. And like you said, it's, I remember as a kid thinking like, well, my dad sucks. He doesn't love me. <laughs> like these friends got this and this and this. And it's like, well, maybe, yeah, maybe he did. He loved me so much that it was like, no, you have to figure this out on your own. You have to be an adult. You have to take care of yourself. Otherwise you never will. If you don't start at some point, you never will. My kid's favorite phrase that I tell them is I love you enough to tell you no. Yes. <laughs> they hate it. I love it. It's great. <laughs> Anyways. So I was going to say, we still, how are we getting to Utah? Yeah. Yeah, So I lived, I lived there for two years. That's really such a, a, um, huge time of growth for me. 
and but I was experiencing sexual harassment in the workplace. It was a it was uh, not a good environment for me to be in. But it was also my favorite point in my career. Um, I had uh, recreated a long term meth opiate treatment program, and so these my clients would be with me like nine to twelve months in this program. I would spend. I mean, they were in in group 20 hours a week, and then we'd do individuals and family and did all this case management for them, um, really intense treatment. And so I loved what I was doing, but I hated the environment that I was doing it in. It just wasn't a place where I could thrive. And so ultimately, I left there and ended up in Minnesota. And so I lived there for two years. I took a job there um, and was super excited about that job bought a house, and uh, that put me closer to my kids. So I was excited about that. But that job lasted eight months, and I quit. And really, in my career, I kept finding myself, like, fighting all these battles. And I remember when I was in college um, being told by one of my professors, who I had so much respect for, she was my advisor, also, like, you got to make noise, if you want to have an impact in this field, you got to make noise. Well, I did that really well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I made noise everywhere I went because, <laughs> you know, I was so passionate about the work that I was doing because I had lived that life, you know, from childhood to my marriage to and knowing what it feels like to live with somebody who um, is active in their addiction and um, just having so much empathy and compassion for those people. And, and man, I was good at what I did. I, I was, and, um, but got tired of fighting the battles. And I remember my, my very first mentor, uh, his name was JC and such, such a powerful, powerful man and had such a big impact in my life. And I remember him saying to me at one point, like Misha, you're never going to soar with the eagles if you keep hanging out in the pond with the ducks. And, you know, like I was like, what the heck does that mean? But, (laughs) you know, he told me at one point, like, you got to create your environment. You are so amazing at what you do. And I remember when he first started mentoring me saying, like, I'm going to I'm going to train you at a doctorate level. Are you ready? And I said, yeah course I am and that's what he did like I I just attribute so much of of the skills I had in my career to the work that he did and um so now I get to realize I like I wish he were still here uh he passed away of a heart attack and um I wish he were here so I could have that conversation with him like I'm creating it I'm creating my environment it's so so freaking exciting but so I ended up walking away from my career two years ago out of just um, frustration of fighting battles in the workplace. And so then so I... So when you say fighting battles in the workplace, you yeah. feel like, and maybe I'm projecting a little bit here, but like that you know what needs to be done that works, but there's barriers in the way of that actually happening. Yes. Like, you know, in the treatment world, they they talk about um, client-centered care and we do what's in the best interest of our clients and yada, yada, yada. But I don't feel like that's really what they do. It's about 
money and warm bodies. And, you know, I get that. That's what makes the wheels turn. But for me, like I was so true to my clients and what I felt was in the best interest of them. Like there were times in my career where I would do an assessment on a client and be like, I have no recommendation for them, you know, and, and then leadership would be like, you need to refer them to our da 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 program. It's like, no, they don't need that, you know, but they wanted that those clients to continue to be fed into their programs. Well, so stuff like that, like just always doing what I felt was in the best interest of my clients, but loose ethical organizations. Yeah. (laughs) And seeing all the unethical stuff that would take place with coworkers. And I made noise about it. You know, I, I would confront it like, Hey, you know, this, this isn't okay. And so you still a clinician now. I am still licensed in the state of Minnesota. Um, I've maintained my um, license in South Dakota. It's in, that one is in, inactive, but wow. yeah. That's cool. I'm just saying, like, if you ever need to, like, work somewhere, I know people, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's you might cool. have no, a I place just, for you. I don't know. Well, because that's very similar to my own philosophy and my own frustration, and that's why I absolutely adore where I work now because it's it's a – it's a company that doesn't buy into that. And it's the first place I've ever worked in the industry where that's not the case. Mm. And people who are listening to this now are going to be like, really? Even when you worked with me? Yes. Even when I worked with you, because I worked with the board of directors and I worked with those people and out of one side of their mouth, it's, well, we got to make it about the kids or the treatment or whatever. And then the other side of the mouth, it's like, well, I'm pulling in 250 grand a year and we're not going to tell anybody that. Or, oh, wow, well, I'm going to buy a multi-million dollar facility and charge people absorbent amounts of money for treatment. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's, it's uh, painful to watch because the work that we could be doing is not being done because of these sleuths ethics yeah it's it's sad and so it's it's good to have a fellow frustrated human (laughs) yeah Yeah. anyway so yeah so I walked away from my career and at that point I was like oh great well I thought that was my passion and purpose so now what the heck am I doing like what is my passion what is my purpose here like I don't even know I felt very lost Um, got into another unhealthy relationship a guy that I had been dating off and on over the years and um, ended up going to work for him. Loved what I was doing. He he was a custom home builder, and so I was doing a lot of the office management, project management, design and stuff, and loved it, but ended up realizing through our relationship when, you know, we're, like, talking about marriage and all this stuff that um, he was not being faithful. And... So at that point, I was just completely broken. That was January of 2018. And I was just like, you know what? I'm like so done with this life. I'm so done with life here. Like my life is going nowhere. It's just this pattern of, you know, unhealthy relationships and abuse and trauma and brokenness and pain. And and so I decided to uh, sell my house in Minnesota and... It took me four months working every single day and every single night to finish the remodel because I had been remodeling it in the two years that I lived there and sold the house last June and literally arrived in Ogden, Utah with my U-Haul truck, no place to go. And, uh, you know, I had some applications in the process and such, but 
Why? Why Ogden, Utah? Well, um, you know, a variety of reasons. One being that I was definitely being called to the mountains. I lived in Colorado right out of high school and um, just loved that. I had never been to Utah, Idaho, or Montana and wanted to. Um, And then there was a guy that I had uh, started dating from Idaho. And so um, he said, hey, you know, I could he works on the road and such, and I could take this job in Utah if you want to go to Utah. And I was like, heck yeah. And so that's what, why I ended up here. That's awesome. And you use the word heck, so you fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So yeah. Do you like Ogden? I love Ogden. That's right. To be honest with you, uh, I feel like it has a bad reputation. Well, but my family's from, like my family like founded Ogden, like Mormon pioneer style. Yeah. OG Ogden. Daly's Barker shout out. Woo woo. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, that's Ogden's where Weber State is, right? Yeah. That's yeah. my niece goes to Weber State, so she loves it. I love that, that place. She I loves do it. Too. It's beautiful. I couldn't tell you anything about it, so I have no opinion. Well, we'll oh, I'll talk to you later. But there's a bunch of cool stuff to do up there that I want to, like, people down south don't realize all the coolness that is up there, like Weber Canyon, because yeah. you just don't get up there enough. And so that's, that's cool. So, so do your kids still live? In South Dakota. Yeah, two of them are in South Dakota and one's in Nebraska, but they're all like within a two-hour flight, two-hour <laughs> distance of each other. Oh, okay. Yeah. And do they have a relationship with their dad right now? Um, I know my middle son has a pretty good relationship with him. When my middle son went to treatment, he just was like, I remember him saying to me, like, I, I just got to accept dad for who he is. And he does a really good job of that. And yeah, he has a... I think the best relationship that he's ever had with his dad. The other two, um, they don't talk a lot about him. I know that they're all working with their dad right now. They all um, are builders, you know, build uh, homes and do finish work and stuff. So, well, that's cool. So at least they have contact with him. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and you don't. Talk to any of your siblings' parents anything anymore, or do you still um, talk to them? I mean, uh, some of them I do not talk with. Um, when I made the decision to sell my house and move to Utah, that was like for them, like, what are you doing? You know, from their perspective, I feel like what I hear from them is you just go in and out of relationships. You just keep moving. You, you know, like you're making all these poor decisions where for me, it's like every single one of those decisions has made me such a better person. Like I have gained so much through every move, through every broken relationship. Like who are you to say that that was a bad choice? Like, and so some of them have not spoken to me since I left Um, my mom and my little sister, very, very limited communication. Sounds like kind of what I'm hearing you say is like your ability to embrace change has given you strength because most people resist it. Like we just want this really consistent, very predictable way of life where it's just like, I know what's coming the next day, but you, you're like, your adventurous part of you has given you a lot of strength. Yeah, for sure. I definitely have an adventurous side of me, and I really have been embracing that this last year. Like, when I got to Utah, I mean, it sucked. I I took myself off social media because I couldn't deal with the highlight 
you know, oh, real. Yeah. And it's like, my life sucks. Like I'm here. I have no friends, no family. I was so depressed. And I took myself off social media. And, you know, in that relationship that I started, uh, through that process, he didn't want me on social media either. So that was the other part of that. Uh, he was very insecure and, you know, didn't, didn't want to have me showing up for other people on social media. And so took myself off social media and fast forward to September 29th, I had taken a trip back home to South Dakota. And I remember sitting in my hotel room and like never before been so ready to end my life. And part of why, you know, when I would experience suicidal thoughts over the years that I that would keep me from doing that was definitely my kids, but also my dog. And I would think like, gosh, if I took my life, like how long is it going to be before somebody finds my dog and he's going to have to sit there and suffer while I'm, you know, and so that would keep me, keep me in the game. And I remember sitting in, in my hotel room and my dog wasn't with me and just realizing this is my opportunity. Like this is my opportunity to do this. And Whoever finds me is not going to know me, right? It's going to be a housemate or whatever. So why, why did you want to die at this point? Before? I was just, you know, not, not having my family in my life and still so much looking outside of myself for validation and love and um, being in a, another unhealthy relationship, knowing it was unhealthy and I should not be in it. But and you choosing a career, which gave you some purpose. Yes. And you're in a new place. Yes. And and being wow. very isolated and lonely. Yeah. yeah, just so, so dark. And it was like, you know, I had gained so many tools over the years to, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and all these things, right? None of it was working. Like, I just didn't know how to move myself beyond that space. And um, ultimately, did not take my life that night. And I remember the next day in Sioux Falls, I was at an event and stood up. I, I won something that day for being the furthest, the person that came the furthest for this event from Utah, right? And so I go up there to receive it and they give me the mic and ask me if I wanted to share anything. And I stood there and told them I almost took my life last night. And afterwards I was like, what did I just do? Like, like, seriously, I, I just shared that. I just told these people, but I knew it was on my heart. It was like my way of holding myself accountable. Like if I tell all these people, there are hundreds of people in that room, like I got to show up and, you know, like not be weak. And so I, I told them that I came back home and that's just really when things really began to shift for me. Um, I have a best friend back in South Dakota, Vanessa, and definitely my soul sister. And she was such, um, oh my gosh, so much strength for me. And just loved me through all my crap. And so I started just immersing myself in fear. Like, you know, I was afraid of heights and afraid of water and afraid of this and that. And um, I went to lava hot springs and went to being down that river and you know when I thought about going and doing that I thought you know pictured like back home when you tube down the river it's like oh sunbathing (laughs) just yeah and I was like oh my gosh but (laughs) loved it went um to Jackson went whitewater rafting and so all these events up to 
um, in February, February 5th, I jumped off the stratosphere. Oh my God. Scared to death. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, my video, I watch it every once in a while and I'm literally standing on that stand like, I'm going to cry. Oh, <laughs> I was so scared. Oh, I my pants for sure. Yeah, it was. But um, so just really facing fear. And so change and like facing fear straight on is is what I've been doing. And it's just been so, so life changing for me. Like I do not experience depression anymore. Um, I am, you know, creating my own uh working environment and uh yeah I'm actually packing and headed to California soon oh you are yeah I have to be out of my place next week for a job are you going to California well um I mean I work for myself I work from home um and what do you do for work well I created Braveheart and uh created Braveheart what I call Braveheart signature system and so I focus on um, like high functioning professionals who struggle with addictive behaviors. And, you know, most, most of the time when people hear that word, they think drugs and alcohol, but really I think we're all addicted to something at some point. For me, it was definitely trauma and abuse and that, that chaos. I was addicted to that. I didn't know how to function without it. And, you know, you remove all of that from my life and it was like, who am I? And so really just recreating and um, being true to who I am, no longer fitting in and showing up, <clears throat> showing up very vulnerably, vulnerably, uh, vulnerably mm-hmm. and authentically and just being raw and, and real with people. Because I know that, you know, I know that all of the stats of how many people experience domestic violence and incest and all of these things and so I'm just here to meet people in their pain and provide hope and strength and really just strive every single day to show up as you know my best self and be the person that I needed when I was going through all that crap so something I found interesting throughout your whole story is and especially what you said at the end there is that you were addicted to that um, unhealthy relationships, right? Yes. Behavior, different things. I I sit and watch people um, and a lot of like teenage girls, for instance, and I see them, We've Kevin and I have talked about this recently, um, addicted to unhealthy relationships. Now they're young, so they're not married, and it may not be so unhealthy where they're getting beat or they're an alcoholic, but how, I guess that's something I would like to hit is how do you stay away from that? Because if you think of your life, that's where it all started. Was that first, you know, this unhealthy relationship at home that you saw, and then you marry someone who is an unhealthy relationship and is just escalated and grown and continued. And you've, are making a stop in that now. But I always think like, gosh, couldn't you stop that, you know, when they're a teenager before that first marriage, that first relationship ever develops where you realize like, okay, the red flags before you've already done it for 10 years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And you know what I would say to that is I would not take back one single thing that I experienced 
Like I know without a shadow of a doubt that my biggest pains are my greatest gifts. That's awesome. Yeah. I think these teenage girls, these young kids, if you teach them that, they're going to be okay. Because they're going to experience a shit well, I was going to say that in itself is she answered strength. Your yeah. She answered your question, right? Mm-hmm. If, a, if a girl can say, I don't want to change anything about me, I don't need to change who I am. Because I would say, the thing you were talking about, like this chaos, but there's also another thing that comes up for a lot of us, right? Which is, if I'm looking outward to feel good, I, there's a million things outside of me that are going to make me feel fantastic. What if, at a young age, I look inward and understand that I am good and I don't need to feel good or bad or whatever, I just am. Maybe an unhealthy relationship isn't a part of my future. Maybe it is and I can get through it. The reality is, though, like we are our own answer. And once I can look myself in the eyes and be like, man, like you got some good stuff going on. I think you're going to be okay. We got this. It changes things because I'm not afraid anymore. And I look at fear and I say, that's just a challenge. Yeah. An opportunity also. For growth. Yeah. Which is essentially what you're talking about. You're like, I'm, I'm embracing growth. I, I, and you, and the crazy thing about life's journey is you can see in your story and in my story and your story and everybody's story, there's moments where I get it and things are fine. And then it's the deep, dark, difficult moments where I have to use those tools that I've learned, not just to get myself out of there, but why do we have these tools? so that we can connect with other human beings, so that we can come together to find our own strength within so that I can help somebody and they can help me and we can connect. And that's what pulls us out of these dark moments. But if I believe that my tools are there just so that I can get through a hard thing and I don't need to call anybody or talk to anybody, those moments alone in the hotel room are really tough. So what's the very thing you did the next day? Went and got vulnerable, and mm-hmm. shared with people, and connected people you'd never met, and it pulled you out. Yeah. It's incredible strength. That's, that's awesome. That's I love how you said you went and just faced all your fears. That, I feel like that is such a good lesson. Yeah, what's on your list? What are we going to do? Fear list, what are we going to face? Oh my gosh, me <laughs> jumping off the stratosphere, I think <laughs> I'd put my hands. We're, we are going to Vegas in July, I let's do it. I am so scared of heights. July, July. when? I'm I'm meeting okay. my best friend in We're in going Vegas. to the Fourth of July weekend, I think. Are you really? Yeah, she's oh. flying in on the fifth. We're gonna go jump off the stratosphere. You oh guys can join gosh. us. <laughs> oh, you're oh, gonna kill this me. This is so happening. <laughs> Not my make me. We're gonna get full on freaking like what are those the cameras you can see your face? Yes, I would cry. Oh, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know. Oh, oh my I, gosh! I know I could do it. That would be so fun. <laughs> we really are gonna be there that weekend. We really are. Yeah. Um, wow. Oh, Bethany's Okay, I'm going to think about it. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) No, I love that idea, though. Kevin was going to make me, for his 40th birthday, he was going to, he wanted to um, jump out of a plane. We're going to go skydiving. In Dubai. We were in Dubai, and the only thing that saved me was (laughs) it was like $900 to do it there, and it's like, I think, $200 to do it here. And I was like, oh, we'll do it at home someday. So I got out of it. Have you done it yet? No. Kevin, come on, man. But yeah, anyways, I think that's really cool because I do agree. Like when I make myself face some of my fears, it, it makes you feel it makes you feel big. It makes you feel like you can do anything. Powerful. So I can see how that would change who you are. I think that yeah. was awesome. 
Well, and some of the other things, not just uh, facing fear, but, you know, just having so much gratitude. And really, my life today is moving beyond what I feel is beyond gratitude and being appreciative, like finding everything in my day to appreciate. When I found out that, you know, my landlord last week is not renewing my lease, I, I was like, whoa, where'd this come from? And here I am packing. I don't know where I'm going, but just finding everything in my day to appreciate. Like the toilet that has been running for the last year that I've lived there. You know, I get to appreciate that. I don't have to listen to that stupid thing anymore. (laughs) But um, just also living in today. Like I realize, you know, looking back, that's, that's what would put me into depression. And looking forward, that's what would make me fearful or anxious. And so just living in today, like today, my needs are met. I'm happy. I'm, I'm not going to let anything rob me of my joy. And so just really living in the now and being present with people. What's awesome about that is that is never not true. That is always true. We always have enough, even in our darkest moments. Yeah. It's perspective and embracing the truth that that is that keeps us strong and allows us to pull ourselves up. Yeah, that's really freaking cool. I love that. And you're headed to San Diego, right? Yeah. Which is my, that's my stomping ground. That's my hometown. So shout out to the San Diego listeners. um, If I understand it right, you're kind of like looking for a place. Yes. Not kind of. I am looking for a place. Yeah, so if you guys down in San Diego want to, you know, hang out with Misha a little bit, hit up Finding Strength. And we'll, uh, we'll connect you guys. That'd be fun to have you meet some of my friends down there. Oh, I cool. would love it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. We'll, to, we'll, we'll, we'll talk after. We'll get some good stuff going. <laughs> Thank you, Misha. That was amazing. Really super cool. Thank you so much. So before we finish up. What? My voice is like cracking more and more. Can you tell? Final thoughts. What did you get out of this? It's uh, the biggest thing. My biggest Takeaways. thing. My biggest takeaway was the... Um, probably what you said at the end there, but I felt like you've been saying it this whole time, but the living in the now, I struggle with that big time. And I love the idea, like how you said, you know, you moved here and you did this and you, that adventurous side of you, I feel like I have that in me and I like stifle it all the time, (laughs) but I'm like, it's like crying to get out. Do you know what I mean? So I love that. And I, I think that you had a lot of really good examples of things I would like to work on. Mine was a gem at the end where you said I can move beyond gratitude and into appreciation. I really like that language where it's just like, I live in this appreciative state as I practice gratitude. I love that. I'm stealing it. Sorry. You don't have that trademark, do you? <laughs> no. Okay, good. Cause that's really good. That's I know. Really good. I love that Thank too. You. Yeah. Do you, how about for you? Final Words of wisdom, knowledge bomb drop right now. I am just so incredibly grateful for, you know, the people that God keeps bringing into my life that I had an opportunity to meet both of you and just you. the the commonality and the connections from San Diego mm. to June 5th to you guys are going to be in Vegas in July. Like we're totally jumping off the stratosphere <laughs> together. It's happening. <laughs> My husband's going to be so talk happy. About, talk about adventure, right? <laughs> yes. I'm going to hold you to it, but just so incredibly grateful for the people that keep coming into my life. And um, yeah, just so grateful for you guys to have me here. And 
I, I'm just so appreciative of it. Thank you. We're grateful for you. Yes, Thanks for coming definitely. on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.